0: Dear friends, what an absolute pleasure it is to welcome you back to another episode of Call of the Wild, which is the podcast from WWF with yours truly, Kel Spellman. I hope you have all been keeping wonderfully well. This is where I dig into and try to find out about the environmental threats to our planet. And of course, more importantly, what we can do to help. And you'll be pleased to know, in this week's episode, it's the what can we do to help that is our main point of focus. Get on this. There was a survey in 2021 that showed that 75% of adults in Great Britain are either somewhat or very worried about climate change. And with the evidence of a dangerously changing climate piling up, it can be easy to feel a bit hopeless, overwhelmed and worried about our future. But here's the good news together we can influence change both in our local communities on a national level and on a global level it's not too late to turn things around when we use our voices when we vote with our wallets when we get involved in local action to help nature in our communities we have people power and that is what we're going to be exploring this week and let me tell you we have got some cracking guests some might say arguably the biggest double booking in Call of the Wild History because I'm going to be joined by legendary screenwriter, film director and activist Richard Curtis.
1: We're now starting to see every element of our lives through a climate lens and money is one of them.
0: And to complete our awesome double header I'll be joined by international singer-songwriter, UN Goodwill and WWF ambassador Ellie Goulding
2: everything and everyone on this planet it's all like an interconnected thing and so when we lose one thing we lose another and so on and so on
0: and alongside that awesome duo we'll hear from a high school student in the uk who's making a difference in her school and local community by standing up for the climate first up earlier on in this series of call of the wild we talked about our homes it was a great episode if i may say so myself and if you haven't listened you know what you need to do. But we looked at how the way we live can affect nature and the environment. Another place most of us spend a lot of our time, though, is either at school or at work. So the question is, what can we do to make a difference in those places?
3: From building materials and waste production, to water and energy usage... There's a lot of different ways our schools, colleges and workplaces can have an impact on the environment. But there are also lots of ways that we can improve how we use these spaces to minimise our impact and even promote positive action for climate and nature. Let's take energy, for example. When big buildings like offices and schools change to renewable energy, it can make a big difference by cutting harmful emissions. Or they can even go a step further and take charge of their own renewables by installing solar panels. Instead of air conditioning, installing air source heat pumps can help keep buildings at a comfortable temperature while using less energy. And switching to energy efficient computer monitors and screens is better for the environment and great for your school or workplace's wallets too. And of course, we can all do our bit by turning off lights and screens when we're not using them or asking for motion sensing alternatives to prevent energy being wasted by mistake. A similar problem is vampire power, where devices like printers and microwaves left on standby are still draining power, which can add up quickly in a large office building or school. So taking the time to switch appliances off at the wall is a small change that can make a big difference. Boosting nature outside by planting trees or other greenery can work wonders for the local wildlife and is good for your health and well-being too. You can also introduce plants indoors, helping to improve air quality and consider other simple changes to everyday practices, from improving recycling systems to buying second-hand furniture and electronics and cutting down on water wastage. One of the best things you can do is check that your organisation is monitoring, measuring and reporting their environmental performance each year and see if they set a net zero target and if they haven't, find out why and who you need to convince to do so. But the big question is, how do you get other people in your school or office on site? Well, evidence shows that a really helpful tool for inspiring change is sharing information, keeping everyone up to date on how the organisation is performing, both what's going well and what needs work. Forming a group of eco-champions of like-minded people to get your voices heard can be a great support. And hosting a clothes swap, quiz or even a gardening event can get more people involved. The key thing is, if something's not happening, tell your organisation you want it to happen. And if you're working from home these days, it's worth thinking about how you can apply these principles at home. You can head online to look at WWF's handy sustainable school and office guide for more tips and advice.
0: Some really brilliant, helpful tips there. I think we do need to be seeing so much more around our buildings and these places that we spend a lot of time in. And not just that, as well as we know, trying to push through the crowd and make sure that our voice is the loudest. There were some really useful things in there as well and something I think we can all be doing that little bit more. Now actually, speaking of work, let's get onto another really important way we can use our influence and if you've listened to this series quite a lot, you'll know I'm always talking about it, it's voting with our wallets, where and how are we spending our money. As I say, this is something we've talked about before on this show, it crops up in most episodes because it has a place in everything that we do, whether that be buying eco-conscious clothing or food, it is a great way of showing businesses that you want them to take protecting nature and the climate seriously. But this week we're focusing on something a little bit different. We're talking about money that a lot of us don't spend too much time thinking about, even if we probably should. Pensions. Now, bear with me please friends stay with me i know you're probably doing what i usually do and you hear pensions and go oh that's well off that's boring that's something to do with older people it isn't it has so much to do with us because i promise you when i say this is single-handedly one of the most powerful things you can get involved in if you care about the environment and want to make a difference So, in its simplest terms, a pension scheme is a long term savings plan, and most people in full time work automatically get one set up through their employer. Every time you get paid, a percentage of your paycheck gets put into your pension pot, and your employer will usually add some too, which is nice of them. The idea being that when you retire, you'll have some money saved up to live on. But, there is another layer to it. Are you still with me? I hope so. Pension companies use the money you've given them to invest in businesses with the intention of making more money for you to have later on. The thing is, a lot of the businesses pension companies are investing in are actively harming people and the planet. Now this is something that's caught the attention of filmmaker and activist Richard Curtis, who you might have heard of some of the films that he's been a part of, you know, like Love Actually and Bridget Jones's Diary, Notting Hill, just to name a few. He's also the co-creator of Comic Relief and Red Nose Day, which have helped improve the lives of millions of people in the UK and around the world. So safe to say this man was perfect for this episode and was someone i was so delighted and grateful to be able to have on this podcast i had the most brilliant chat with him about why getting nosy about your pension can have a big payoff for the planet
1: four years ago i thought my pension just went into a magic pot at the bottom of gringotts grew a bit (laughs) you know added some moss and then I get it back. <laughs> and then, of course, it becomes obvious to you, of course, the way your pension makes money is it's invested by pension companies and they take the profits from that investment you know, to pay things out. And God, it's an, an unbelievable scale. The total of pensions in the UK is 2.7 trillion. The total around the world is 47 trillion. And that is invested money. And that is our money. I think we did a bit of research which said that if you moved your pension to a sustainable pension, it was 21 times more effective than stopping flying, changing energy provider, and becoming vegan. Wow, it is such an area of strength. I mean, it's unbelievably good news. Because you think, you know, what can I do? What do I buy? Do I get local food? Do I travel less? Do I buy a bike? And then suddenly you find out in your cupboard, You've got this huge power in the battle against climate change, which is your pension and your money and really good for young people because everybody in the UK now who starts work at a company has to take out a pension. The first thing they should do is say, have I got an ethical, sustainable pension? And if you have, you'll be doing your bit for climate. Do all the other things, of course. But you'll be doing your bit for climate every day. If we were to break that down then, and there's there's
0: no silly question here on Call of the Wild, when asking for an ethical, sustainable pension,
1: what is that that then we'd be asking for? Um, and what does that do? It's really simple. The money goes out of things that are doing damage. And then you're investing in great new... Exciting businesses that are doing cool things, as it were, you're investing in the future Allbirds or Toms or wind farm manufacturers and all that kind of stuff. It's a very satisfying package. Um, And what are some of them, the environmental harm that these pensions really are at the root of? Take deforestation. They're investing hugely in beef, in palm oil, in soy, in businesses which are slicing down forests ending biodiversity, causing forest fires, all that kind of stuff. So deforestation, we're asking all the pension schemes to get out of that. Mm -hmm. So you will definitely, if you've got a default pension, be burning down and slicing down your own bit of forest every day.
0: It's frightening, isn't it? Why do you think there's never been full clarity or I guess full
1: transparency would be the word? On these things, You know, these things sort of, they, they become clear to us slowly. I mean, I think people only started thinking about their clothes 10 years ago. You yeah. know, they started to suddenly hit them. Are they coming from sweatshops? What material is being used? You know, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We're thinking more and more about food. We're now starting to see every element of our lives through a climate lens. And money is one of them. I mean, to be honest, it's... You know, you look at the rise of feminism, mm-hmm. and suddenly now, I mean, after the Me Too movement, we're looking at, I'm looking at my own films and saying, wait a second, yeah. what was going on there? Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think we, it, you just, you just change your perspective, look at the world in a different way. And that's what's happening on climate. We're suddenly realizing it was all around us. The thing which got me into this was not to do with climate, but was a TED talk by someone called Dr. Bronwyn King. She was a cancer doctor, spent her whole life trying to help people, has her first meeting with her accountant and find out that her pension, three of the top six companies that she's invested in were cigarette companies. She was actually killing more people every day than she was saving. She could retire and change her pension and she'd be saving more lives. This awareness that our money's at work and that we've got power over it, it's ours, And that your company could change its policies. You know, we've just got so much power there. There's a point you said there as well, which I think
0: is so key to remember, is although it can feel like, can we change the ingrained systems that have existed in this industry actually we can through having the conversation and if the will is enough there from the people then actually they are there to serve us but we forget that sometimes don't we we forget that we have the
1: power not them there's a pension campaign called my future super in australia australians call pension superannuations and its whole marketing campaign is about the fact that it's sustainable and that it's Mm. ethical We're becoming the investors, the shareholders of the future and in a much better future. I wondered
0: as well, what are the everyday things, you know, that you think people can be doing in their lives to
1: to play their part? And when they ask that question, what can I do? What, What are your answers sometimes to that? I mean, the thing I would probably say today is think a bit about your spending power. You know, as it were, if you're going down the street and thinking, which of these three shops am I going to shop at? Just check them out, see whether or not one of them's got a better policy on clothes, where their clothes come from, how their workers are paid, and everything like that. It's actually quite fun and quite interesting. But we've also, on the Make My Money Matter website, got lots of ways that you can get involved and also making it really easy to shift your shift your pension. And By the way, if you're talking about activism, another thing I once did is I used to think, you know, when I was young... My dad came to me and said, Richard, get a pension. You know, I said, oh, you know, must I? Um, But he talked me into it. Now it's the job of young people to say to their parents, change your pension. The responsibility has gone the other way around. You can be an activist over the dinner table at home. The final question, which I end with all my guests on this podcast, Richard, is what brings you hope? It really is, like, in lockdown... (laughs) What did we talk about? Me and my three kids who are between the age of 18 and 26. Obviously, first Bridgerton, Love Island, you know, the big subjects. But after that, it really was gender, climate, race, and then really putting me right. And just in the texture of conversation, they were really, you know, shifting my perspective on things. So I think what I'm feeling is amongst the younger generation, this is not a token moment as it were. This is not a thing where they'll do a bit and lose interest. I've got a feeling we've got a generation coming up that's going to see their life through these lenses. And I think that makes me really optimistic
0: honestly that really was one of those conversations that sticks with you i think just given richard's career but also the variety of work he does in a huge amount of spaces he really has an insight that i think not many people can bring to the table and of course the biggest point being what we're talking about pensions Which is why I would really, really recommend, and I'm not just saying this, head on over to the Make My Money Matter website, you can find out loads of advice there, of course, not just about switching your pensions, and if you want to encourage your family and friends to do the same, I mean, imagine if we all just got one person to do it as well, be seismic, but also on there, you'll find out loads of other stuff about what they're doing to encourage the government and regulators to change the rules of pensions, which of course in turn would make a massive, massive difference. Marching onwards, my friends, we are now going to go from pensions and work to school and your local community. Now, I remember myself at school. For those of you around my age will remember it wasn't quite called climate change. It was called global warming. That's when I was studying about it. And bar learning a bit about methane gas and that there was an ozone layer that had a hole in it. There wasn't too much else to it. But that is changing. That is moving. And I think that also did really spark. This drive to want to bring about some change and difference when I realised the planet was heating up and it was going to have disastrous consequences. Let's hear now from a high school student in the UK who is full of hope and inspiration, just as so many brilliant young people are, not just in the UK, around the world. Let's find out how she's been using her voice to influence her local community and her school to protect the environment.
4: I live in a town called Morden, which is on the estuary in Essex and it's a place to live it's very beautiful we have a very fragile ecosystem of the salt marshes which are incredible places of biodiversity and conservation and lots of different habitats and that's why climate change is so important to address within this local area because we need to know how to finally balance these ecosystems and know how to protect them for not only this generation but future generations to come. One of my major things that I have done in my local area is be the youth representative for District Council's climate action strategy which has recently been released and one of the things that they want to do is called Climate Friends and that's about getting intergenerational communication to talk about the climate crisis that we are facing. There's often a lot of talk about how Yes, the older generation and the younger generation and the younger generation are ones that are making all the difference and yes there is such a growing movement of youth voice but equally there are older generations and there are older people that have been doing this all of their lives so this isn't a new problem this is something that's been going on for ever such a long time as a campaigner or activist we have to have these difficult conversations because at the end of the day that is what creates change but if you know what you're talking about if you can understand the type of person that you're talking to and their opinions and you can put yourself in their shoes and have empathy for their opinions, that's what really gets you in a good place of having conversations. If you want to make a difference in your local area and more importantly your local school, build up allies within your local area. The climate crisis and tackling something like the climate change movement is really tricky on your own. And I've learned that. You have to find other young people that are also passionate about it as well. So I think that would be my first tip, is to find other like-minded people to share the load of work by having other people who are equally as passionate about it and equally want to do the same thing as you. That can be not only beneficial for your mental health, but for everything else. It can get a lot done. My main message to other young people who want to help the environment and stand up for what you believe in is to use your voice. Your voice is so powerful. Let people know that you want change. Go up to your teachers, keep pushing about the action that you want to see with the school. Go to your council, talk to your local MP, book an appointment with your MP to let them know that This is something that if we don't change is going to be seen in every single person's lives. So be empowered, be brave enough and stand up for what you stand on.
0: Oh, some beautifully powerful, poignant words there, Hattie. And let's not forget Hattie is just one of hundreds of thousands of young people that are standing up and speaking up for what they believe in. Let's make sure we support them and empower them to do just that. So up next on Call of the Wild, I am joined by someone who has been standing up for nature and the climate for years at all levels of society, from giving speeches to world leaders, championing youth voices at climate conferences, to writing and performing an original song for a David Attenborough documentary. This is a person who knows about how to use your influence wherever and however you can. I am now joined by the brilliant singer-songwriter, UN Goodwill Ambassador and WWF Ambassador, Ellie Golding. So we began with how she's been introducing her son Arthur to nature from an early age.
2: Went on walks pretty much every day, just the two of us. And initially, obviously, he was tiny and didn't really know what was going on at all. And then eventually I'd see him looking around and seeing things with like awe, fascination for the first time. And I'm like, I wonder what he's thinking. Like seeing all these trees, being able to just look directly up and seeing all these different shades of green and brown and seeing sheep for the first time and horses and whatever else. I mean, that to me was the most magical time. And I feel like it kept me kind of sane with the sleep deprivation and and whatever else that came with it
0: you know, I mean, I think, like you say, we take for granted whether it be just a tree or that little bug that they find under a log. With then kind of, I mean, I was a, I was a fan of your music, but I kind of noticed that kind of moment when you started to speak up for the planet and for, you know, our wildlife and, of course, for, for our own life support system. I've always wondered what was behind that shift, like, was, was there a moment, did something happen, you know, that kind of just you suddenly went... Because I think everyone that I speak to who's been on the podcast, there is that kind of moment where they go, I need to do something. Mine came when I was 15, 16, when, you know, I felt quite overwhelmed by it all and thought, well, I need to just counter that by doing something. Can you remember that moment when you decided to make that shift? Because as well, you are putting yourself out there at that point.
2: I'm I'm like you, I'm, I'm like, if I see something, I can't unsee it. If I visit somewhere and I learn something about what's changed, or I hear some science, like really shocking, alarming science, I find it really hard to turn a blind eye to those things. I'm a real just like hater of injustice, like a lot of us are. And I figured that nature was one thing that was being royally screwed, and nobody was really doing anything. I mean, I knew, I, I kind of researched, and then I, you know, read the sort of old school stuff like Silent Spring and and you know, watched old um, Atom documentaries back in the day, and just things that kind of made me realise that actually people have been protesting this stuff, or been trying to draw people's attention to it for a long time. I was just really confused that nobody, you know, especially in my industry, there was no one really speaking up about it. I I, know, I noticed that Coldplay were doing bits and bobs. I can't remember exactly what they've done now, but they've done they've done quite a lot with their, with their tour and merch, I think, trying to make it as green as possible, which I then tried to do with my last tour, you know, Powered by Renewables and stuff like that. But I just thought, God, this isn't enough. Like, there needs to be more people speaking out about this. And I did notice that when I started talking about it on social media, and I did it unofficially because I wasn't really the ambassador of anything at the time. So I talk a lot about climate change and about, like, Biodiversity loss and melting glaciers and and things like that, and it was honestly the equivalent of making like really intense political statements. You know, it was the most polarizing thing where some people would would sort of you know applaud me, and then others would say like, "Well, I'm not following you anymore. Stop being political. Climate change isn't real." <laughs> and so I had you know I got I got kind of bummed out about that for a while because I realized that I was probably sacrificing my followers you know for my music for my passion for the environment and I was like do I want to do this (laughs) yeah yeah I'm gonna do this and so I carried on and and it's only recently like in I'd say in the last year that there seems to have been and this is what gives me kind of this like glimpse of hope is that it's there seems to be a turnaround happening and my followers have gone up recently and it can't be because of music because I haven't bloody released a song in ages Um, um so it must be because people are like I really get this now and especially younger people, and that's my aim, you know, when I go to COP and when I go to um, environmental assemblies and things like that, I I want to reach out to those younger people that don't necessarily have a place at the table still. For example, I was in Sweden a couple of weeks ago for the UNEP's 50th birthday, and I thought, you know, let's go and let's let's make it sexy and let's try and sort of um, inject some, um, I don't know, something. <laughs> Just Life, so coolness, Life yeah, into it. Substance, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. it's kind of what it needs sometimes, you know, there are these... These people, and you know, some of them are really, really dedicated environmentalists. Um, there's some, there's some politicians and world leaders and people that that really do care, genuinely care. Some, some mm-hmm. don't, and some might be doing it for like green points, but some really do. And I was kind of half inspired and half like. Why aren't there more young people in these conferences, in these rooms? And especially, like, I met people from around the world that had traveled in just to say something and just to be there. You know, um, a couple of people from, you know, indigenous communities had come all the way over. A guy from Ukraine had, you know, a war-torn country had, had come over just to say something and be there. And so people literally risking their lives to come over and speak at this thing. And so I got to speak to them at the end and I said, what would, you, what would you say and what would you do if you were in the room with these people? And they all just, they're all so passionate and so smart and they know what's up. Like they know what needs to be done. They know the technology's there. They know the, the willpower is there. They know the political will isn't necessarily there yet. And I was like, I was just blown away. And so my aim is always to make sure that those the people that can't be in that room get to be heard, basically.
0: Is there anything you've learned, you know, when you've spoke to them, what do they say, you know, if you can go, what can I do to help? Is, is there anything we can be doing, you know, from, from our bedrooms or, or from, you know, here in the UK?
2: There's so much that, that we can do individually, but it just feels so overwhelming. I know that it's such a huge thing. You know, it's almost too much to to take in the fact that, you know, the fate of humanity kind of rests on us making like serious, serious change now in our lives. And, and also just, you know, policy change and, you know, really dramatic stuff needs to happen. But to be honest, um, I think the first step is being conscious of it. And it starts kind of falling into everything you do, like, the you know, the actions you take, in your everyday life, like your habits, just your I guess consciousness of what's going on in the world. I think for me the, the most important thing was always taking things from the right sources. Because as you as you know, there's like there's so much fake news and so much stuff going on, so many, so many agendas with climate change. I think it's just really important to remember that collective power is is so, so strong. And when we all put our voices together, we really can influence people. I mean, most of the time we can influence political leaders and businesses and industries and the people that really we need to cut carbon emissions and also, you know, start using completely renewable energy and things like that. But I think really, like I said, just having that consciousness might make you then follow different people on Instagram or on Twitter or, you know, start kind of opening yourself up to what's going on in the world with the environment and Are there people that you could follow that might inspire you? Because for me, like, I take so much inspiration from other people and from just people who are literally on the front line, like those young people that I met, you know, from indigenous communities who are literally on the front line defending rainforests to stop, you know, big oil people coming in and bulldozing like their livelihood and whatever else down to the ground. And so I think that's definitely the first step. And then, you know, there's there's also little things you can do, like, be conscious of what you eat a bit more. Like, you know, are you eating fish from like fairly sustainable source? So you, could you cut down on meat? Could you take public transport a bit more? There's things like that. And look, I'm not perfect in any way. I'm not, I, you know, I get called a hypocrite all the time. But I'd rather be, I'd honestly rather be that in what I do and still speak up than be cynical. I'd honestly rather say that and speak up and draw attention to it than not say anything at all. So like none of us are perfect, but you can deal with those small things that make a big difference.
0: Yeah and it's all the power to you for for doing it particularly when given your position you are more exposed so you know there's a real strength and resilience from yourself there Ellie really, that has to be recognized and said and how do you deal with those little moments of because even now you know when I listen to you or you think about the plights of the indigenous communities it is it is overwhelming do you still get those moments Ellie and, and how do you combat it because I know it's it's quite you know climate anxiety we've spoke about that as well this series it's a lot
2: It is a lot and it's overwhelming and I definitely had a few months of when I just had my baby and I was trying to sort of get to grips with, with being a mum that I, I did kind of freak out and hide away for a bit and I couldn't bring myself to do any activism or speak out about things because I just felt too overwhelmed. And it does get overwhelming. You know, after I got through that kind of phase of, well, hiding away a little bit because I was so overwhelmed by the newness of an enormity of motherhood that I really just couldn't even face what was happening in the world you know there was war there was just like wildfires there were political things going on that were just really unfortunate awful for nature and and for climate and and so I just didn't want to know you know for a while and then and I got to a place where I started feeling like myself again you know I had a real big phase of anxiety which I still have and I still have to sort of deal with day by day once I kind of felt like I'd, I'd come to the other side of that, it did sort of give me a rocket up my bum <laughs> because <laughs> I, I realized, yeah, I was like, I, I, first of all, I really want my son to have this relationship with nature that I had. you it was, I was so lucky to have, and I'll always be grateful for that, but also that, oh my gosh, I don't want him growing up in a world where, I mean, already like 1 million species are going to be at risk of extinction you know, all the things that are in his books and the things that he or the like the animal noises he likes to make and and the idea that some of those things could be gone and lost forever like that's not right we can't just sort of shrug that off as like oh well never mind things have become extinct we'll still survive well that's not guaranteed you know we we need nature we need biodiversity everything and everyone on this planet it's all like an interconnected thing and so when we lose one thing we lose another and so on and so on so um, i do not want my son to grow up in that world he doesn't deserve to and neither do any young generations deserve to grow up in a world like that we are the generation to change this for them and so we just have to do it we have no choice
0: Ellie, thank you for such a brilliant and very honest conversation. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I did. She really has been a tour de force. A massive thank you to Ellie for her tireless work and energy. And breathe. There we are. That is it for this week's episode. This is an episode that I've been really keen to include in the series because I'm always talking about and championing people power. I firmly believe that if we all stand up, come together, and use our voices, we can make... A huge difference, especially by calling on governments, regulators, big businesses, corporations to call them out for what they're doing, but also asking them and telling them to take a stand, protect the climate, protect nature and protect our future. They have a huge, huge role to play in turning things around, as do we. And I will finish on this, something that I always talk about, is that all you have to do is look to history and see the difference that people power has made in these massive, massive movements through time. Whether that be like where I'm from, Emily Pankhurst, the suffragette movement, people power. Mahatma Gandhi, people power. Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, people power. Nelson Mandela, people power. Greta Thunberg, people power. All you need to do is look at those moments and go, yes, we may be made to feel helpless, like we don't have a voice, that we can't change things. I'm telling you, that is not the case. And if we do come together and we do make our voices sing loud enough, I promise you change will come. So all that's left for me to say now is a huge, wholehearted thank you to today's guests, Ellie Golding, Richard Curtis and Hattie. And in our next episode, we're going to be wrapping up season two of Call of the Wild. I know, but in that episode, we're going to be looking at identity and how it influences our relationship with nature. We're going to dig into the big questions like how our sense of identity can relate to how we feel about the environment, how empowered we feel about advocating for it, as well as exploring how societal systems can prevent equal access to nature. I think it's going to be a really fascinating and intriguing listen, so please do join me for that in a few weeks time. Don't forget, in the meantime, if you're going to want to hear more from the brilliant Ellie Golding and Richard Curtis, and I'm telling you, there is still some absolute gems to come from our interviews, do look out for our bonus episode, which will feature more of that. That will be out in two weeks' time. Call of the Wild is a Fresh Air production for WWF. Please do subscribe or follow now for free so that you don't miss an episode. The Wild is calling. It's time to act.